All right, welcome to the Jig is Up, everybody. I am Darcy, and with me as always is Jason. Hey, buddy. Hey, how's it going this evening, man? Not bad. You finally got some sunshine and some warm weather up your way, hey? I did. I'm pretty sure, though, I'm going to have green leaves and snow still on the ground in some spots. Nice, nice. Well, that's an eclectic yeah. yard. Yeah, <laughs> you got to love the north. <laughs> um, so I... Um... Do want to say I want to give a shout out. Uh, start off the show to uh, Micheline and Jen for going to our Patreon site and pledging uh, and getting access. Awesome! That's right. You guys rock, and now you have access to all the exclusive episodes that we share on Sunday nights. Um, so if you want exclusive access to those episodes, you want to hear some interviews, some and us talking to some really cool and interesting people. Head to our Patreon page. The link will be in the description. And for as little as 5 bucks a month, you will gain access to all of those uh, extra shows, the exclusive content on Sunday nights. As well, you'll still always be able to hear us here on Tuesdays ranting away. Um, Doing what we do best. That's right. That's right. Absolutely being loudmouths. Uh, now, let's jump into a, a, a great story. And I, I wanna, it's not a Métis story, but we're going to relate it to Métis stuff. And it's here in Alberta. There's a, a nation called uh, the Beaver Lake Cree Nation. And uh, I don't know if you know much about this, Jason. Have you heard much about this in the news? Only a little bit. So back in 2008, they uh, launched a constitutional challenge stating that there were, the government had caused an infringement of treaty rights to hunt, trap, fish, and gather on the land. Um, of the 38,000 square kilometers of traditional land around the reserve, 35,000 square kilometers have been impacted by development mainly from oil and gas. Obviously, we're in Alberta. and uh, <laughs> So their claim is that the animal species are diminishing, um, the, such as moose and everything is in decline. The water levels are drastically receded, and they're having a more difficult time finding traditional med medicines when they are out on the land. And both the provincial and federal government have thrown up as many roadblocks as they can to drag this out in court, which is already now we're in our 10th year on this, and essentially now the band is saying, you know what, we're we're going bankrupt trying to fight this. So they've applied to the court for some sort of funding. I don't really understand how courtroom funding works, but they've applied for some funding so that they can continue their court case. And I thought that was just an interesting tie when we're now in the process right now, according to the Métis Nation of Alberta Association, that they're negotiating hunting rights. So what are your, do you see any commonalities between all this stuff, Jay? Well, I think that the challenge is, is anytime we come to land-based issues, this is definitely a problem we have, is the government's going to throw and, and really use the court system against uh, Indigenous people. You know, we've talked about this a few times, and it just seems like they will do anything to drag this out uh, simply because they know where it's going to go. They're going to lose. Absolutely, yeah. And and that's for me. I think the thing is, you know, everybody's talking about how they're negotiating these harvesting rights, and uh, I kind of uh, know a little bit about the government's position on harvesting rights for Métis here in Alberta. And unfortunately, it's not going to please a lot of Métis people. Um, the government's stance is there's no need for anybody to have harvesting rights south of Red Deer, and there's going to be very few communities that actually get those rights. People in those communities. And you're going to be restricted like the settlements are. And, you know, we've talked about that stuff. But so to try and fight this, though, I mean, this is the kind of stuff the government loves to do is just drag it out in court. It's what they did with Harry Daniels. Just, I mean, that was like 20 years to go to, to get the decision on that. Yeah. So how, do, how does anybody expect to be able to pay for this stuff? And then the government actually has said to, you know, the ministers told me, well, you know, there's always the court challenges program. So... Um, I just think this is an uphill battle that Métis are facing right here in Alberta, at least, uh, as far as pushing or fighting for rights. This is kind of the uphill battle that we can expect to face, I think. Absolutely. I think this is the whole point, is that when it comes to, other than the prescribed um, value of how we're going to be able to pursue harvesting rights in Alberta, we're pigeonholed. And anytime we're going to try to challenge that um, out-of-the-box thinking, of the uh, a, you got to have a historical community. Past that, the province um, 
how do you call it, a province-basically interpreted version of the Pali case for your community. And then everybody's restricted to, anybody who qualifies is restricted to 160 kilometers of that home community. So uh, it really degrades our, what we would call an intrinsic right as a Métis person because it it totally negates the mobility that we as Métis people exercise across the land. Absolutely, and I mean... Um, the government basically, when you look at a case like this, and yes, this isn't Métis people, but this is what we have to look forward to. It's very clear how the government intends to negotiate any of these things, and it's not really negotiating. It's, here's our position, you can accept it, or we'll see in court. And in 25 years, you might have a decision that we may or may not actually have to live up to. So, um... I don't know what the what the expected outcome even is of this um, uh, on the behalf of the Beaver Lake Cree Nation, but um, I just thought it was a great example just to show exactly how the extent to which the government is willing to go to to fight this stuff. And this is both provincial and federal governments that they're they're challenging in court. So you know, when one puts up a roadblock, the other one sits back, and when they knock that one out of the way, oh, now the federal government's put one up, and they just keep piggybacking the roadblocks. So I, I don't know. absolutely, and I, I think for for any First Nations, it's it really uh, you're trying to exercise your treaty rights and the protection of your treaty rights, and that's you know we can talk about a lot of Métis rights, but a lot of Métis people, especially in the West, don't have any treaty rights, and so uh, the First Nations, uh, I mean, have a little more leverage in trying to push that agenda forward in the respect of treaty rights. Um, and kudos to them for, for at least bringing this attention. But, I mean, talk about an expensive uh, exercise. Absolutely, yeah. I think they've said they've already spent over a million and a half dollars in legal fees. Um, and, I mean, that's that's a lot, of, that's a lot of money that can, you know, when you're looking at your community. But, I mean, it's the principle of it, right? you got to keep fighting that fight. Yeah, that's a lot of big-time cake. I mean, uh, there's, there's a lot you can do if you're going to start... Uh, Blowing out a million and some bucks and change, right? Absolutely. So that's uh, you know, I, I just um, I, I mean, I'm disappointed in the government as far as the way they're they're treating the, this nation. But the truth is, is that's how they're going to treat. That's how they treat everybody. That's how they treat Indigenous still to this day. Well, and I think it's a good good thing to remember because I mean, this is in Alberta, right? Yes. Yeah. And last time I, I checked, the the big orange machine is in charge. Yeah. Exactly. And so it, it really goes to highlight, I mean, for me, uh, we talk about a lot of the cons- about the Conservative Party here in Alberta being in power for so long, but then we see, you know, probably the most radical change in colonial politics you could have in ideological shift. But really, when push comes to shove at the end of the day, we really have the same government. It's the same politics. So regardless of whether you are voting for a blue shirt or an orange shirt, it really is, you know, the same thing. It really is. I, I, you know, for Indigenous people, it doesn't really change anything. I mean, we've seen that with the federal government. Uh, you, they went from blue to red. And, you know, we interviewed uh, Rachel Snow a few weeks ago, and, and she was saying, you know, the policies are the same. They're trying to continue the same type of land extinguish policies. And and so it, it, is, a, it is a total smoke show to say, oh, the government's changed and blah, blah, blah. If if we had a federal government that is so drastically changed, why is this not settled already? If we had a, a provincial government that was so drastically different, how come this is not settled already? Um, you know, and that that is the that's the reality of it. So you hit it right on the right on the, the nail on the head there. It's it's that's the heart of it all. Yeah, is that that we that doesn't matter who what kind of politicians we put in charge. Really, the bureaucracy is the bureaucracy, and it's not going to go anywhere. Absolutely, because you know, and we've said this before too. It's it's the people that work in the government. It's not the ministers so much as those people that have been there for twenty five years. They're not going to change their attitude because they don't have to. They got job security. It doesn't matter who the minister is, whether and what color shirt they wear. So that's um, right. And and as we've clearly seen, we have the the bureaucrats in charge who develop the policy, and they have the lawyers who are more than happy to spend uh, you know serious taxpayers' money. Uh, tying this up in court for as long as need be. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's terrible situation altogether, but it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure you could go province to province and probably find 
one court case in every province, <laughs> at least, where an indigenous group is, is taking the government to court and the government's dragging it out and dragging it out and dragging it out. So, you know, let's let's actually see some change. Let's not just talk about it and promise it. Let's actually see some change there uh, to, to all the levels of government. Yeah, well, reconciliation is only a word. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so... I, I also read some. I read a really interesting um, comparison this this weekend on Facebook, and there was a fellow who actually compared uh, Riel and Dumont to Fidel Castro and Ernesto Che Guevara, and how they led their their people to to re- revolution and the the you know all these kinds of things. Now I didn't actually get to read what he said because it was in a he was advertising like he had published it as a book this speech he'd made, uh, and obviously I did not have time to buy the book or read it, and it wasn't available for free. But I just thought that was a very interesting comparison, and uh, I think I'll let you hit this one out first, Jason. I don't know how you feel about <laughs> Fidel and Che and Riel and Dumont, but other than. Um like we discussed a little bit earlier, uh, there was armed conflict and what might be considered uh, revolutionary. I don't know. Um, I don't even really like that term. I don't think the Métis people were intent on starting a revolution. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they were intent on overthrowing the government at any level. They were, they were in protection. You know, the Métis people were in protection of our own lands, not trying to overthrow and another government, you know what I mean? It wasn't like that. It wasn't, there wasn't a coup attempt. It wasn't, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and I thought, like, I don't, I know that uh, Che is supposed to be this big hero of the, of the freedom fighter world. Um, but, but the reality is, is when they did come into power, I don't know if, if I really would want to be it can, compared to those two, because they, they kind of slaughtered a few thousand Cubans um, who were not, who didn't fall into line right away. And they, I mean, Che Guevara at one point in time was in charge of their justice system and he sent thousands of people, men, women, and children to their, to the firing squad. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure that's where the comparison for me got really iffy. Cause you know, there's the glory glorified Che Guevara. Oh, he's such a hero. And so is Fidel for, you know, usurping the, the man, so to speak, and yeah, but I, yeah, know, fight I, the system, yeah, yeah. But other than that, I, I get that, but but it, I don't see much of a comparison past that. No, and I actually, um, a few years ago, I had a job where most all of our work was in Cuba, and I got to go to Cuba a couple of times, which was really beautiful. Uh, but but I didn't do the touristy thing. Like I I was I was staying at a resort, but I had to go to work every day. You know nine to five while I was there, <clears throat> but I got to hang out with actual Cubans and go to their house and, you know, and do the non-touristy side of things. And I'm telling you, it's not the utopia that we seem to think it is here in Canada. Um, you know, they, and people talk about how, oh, well they get everything for free. They don't have to pay rent. They don't have, you know, the car, the government gives them a car. It's, it's great. And it's like, well, yeah, that's not really how it works. And so <laughs> when you actually learn how the system down in Cuba works, um, I don't know if that's what Riel and Dumont would actually have fought for, is the uh, subjugation of the entire Métis people uh, to do exactly what they wanted to do at every moment in time. <laughs> that just doesn't seem like what they wanted. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't think they were fighting for that kind of autonomous control and dictatorial power. Absolutely not. No. No, and just everything about Cuba. I mean, I don't know how you compare those because they brought in the like the Napoleonic legal system, so you're guilty until you're proven innocent. Mm-hmm. Um, your whole family can go to jail for something you did. You know, things like that. It's like that is I don't pretty sure that's not what Riel and Gabriel Dumont were fighting for. Um but like you said, I, they weren't holding a, a revolt. They weren't trying to overthrow the government, so I think it's a real stretch. I mean, like we said, you, you know, they did lead armed conflict, I guess you could say that. But I think it's a pretty big stretch to compare those two fellas to Fidel and Che. I just thought that oh, was yeah. a I mean, I, I think, yeah, other than there was guns and some bullets, the comparison really ends after that because the motivation for what was going on in those two events were 
you know, uh, very, very different with very different motivations and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I just thought that was a weird, weird thing to compare. Um, but it seems like anybody will do anything to make a buck these days, especially when you're talking about, you know, indigenous identity. Well, that's right. And I think a lot of people do have a very uh, romanticized, glorified view on on Cuba and Fidel Castro and Che Guevara and that whole that whole thing that happened. Um, I think there's a very romanticized view here in Canada, especially. Um, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the senior Trudeau was such good friends with Fidel. Of course, we all thought that Cuba was awesome, right? <laughs> and and they got great beaches, so how can you go wrong? It's a beautiful place. <laughs> Canada's holiday hotspot. That's right, yeah. The Americans can't go it, there. It, it's got to be good. If Americans can't go and we can, it's got to be a good deal. Absolutely, you betcha. Um. So, so that was weird. Um, and then one of the other things that I've noticed on, on Facebook and going around is these the people have this impression that the Métis National Council and its affiliates, as we like to refer to them as the cartel, um, they seem to think that they own the word Métis as though it is trademarked and nobody else can use it. And... I got this. This this is what really bothered me about this. There was a, an article that came out on the East Coast, um, I think in Halifax or something, and it was a newspaper, a local newspaper, put out an article on a lady named Mary Lou Parker, and it talked about her lifelong dedication to her community and Métis people, um, and she's being recognized by the Governor General for that service and other service she's done to her community, and she's going to get the Sovereign Medal, Sovereign's Medal for Volunteers, which I've never even heard of until now. Um, and it recognizes exceptional volunteer achievements from across the country and abroad in a wide range of contributions. Now, this lady also helped. She fa- helped her and her husband, I guess, co-founded the Eastern Woodlands Métis back in the 70s out there, uh, mm-hmm. which is still going. And they also founded a uh, Korean veterans uh, organization on the East Coast there, which I think is still going. And they also are were very active in their you know, uh, Legion, their local Legion. So very active people in their community. And then what really got me was the this thing that calls itself news on Facebook, which is just repost and hash out an opinion once in a while, um, said that uh, she is uh, not Métis. Um, they are not part of the Métis Nation. They shouldn't be using the word Métis to, to describe their group, especially if they're not a rights-bearing community. Um, so I thought that was kind of, dis- first of all, very disrespectful. But uh, they're not Métis unless they're part of the Métis National Council. And Well, and, but the caveat is not only not just part of the Métis framework, Métis Council framework, but right there. Yeah, that's exactly. And I think that in and of itself, if even if you're part of that uh, framework, uh, kind of bugs me because even here in Alberta, there are several communities that have a lot of Métis people that come from Red River who technically, legally, aren't rights-bearing because they have a valley test. Yeah. As the Alberta government uh, enforces it here. So even within that framework, is it a two-tier type of membership that they're qualifying then for even for their own membership? There's there's people who are members of the the cartel and the organization, and then there are those who are rights bearing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we've talked about that many times. How it's becoming this two 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 tiered status thing, um, and and I, I just drives me crazy because again, when you say a rights bearing community, according to who, and I think that's the that's the kind of the mm-hmm. end of the last of the phrase sentence you never hear is because we all the reality is a rights-bearing community according to the government of Canada. Yeah. And so you're you're giving exactly, away yeah. that right. You're giving away your identity saying, please, Canada, please come and be our dad and tell us who we are and who's who has rights. Or uh, here's the thing. Here's the here's the hilarity of it. Is So uh, if you're a First Nations community, the, the conversation is about honoring the treaties. If you're Métis, it's about saying the Canadian court definition of Métis is how we self-identify. Yes. That's essentially the MNC standpoint is 
the, the Canadian government has told Indigenous people how to self-identify Métis people, and so we're going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I'm not sure how, what kind of sanity that is, but... Well, and, and I, I don't understand how the people that say these things don't realize how, like, you're giving all of that power away to the government. You're basically, like you said, you're leaving it up to the government to decide who we are. Um, and so it is It is not, in fact, the Métis National Council that gets to decide who is and who is not Métis. They, they don't have that authority. Um, and it's also not the Canadian government that decides. It's the Métis people that decide. It's Métis communities that decide. And I don't understand when people say these things I just like I, I I really honestly can't even fathom saying s- such daft things. Um, well, I, I don't understand. Is the people who say that okay, the Métis people own themselves? Well, then the definition of who's Métis and who is not has nothing to do with rights bearing because of the Canadian uh, legal term that has either granted Métis communities or disallowed Métis communities to exercise the right. That's not that's the conversation or the verbiage that people who own themselves would should use. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it goes back to this whole idea that if you want to be a nation, well, why are you letting another nation dictate who is and who's not part of your nation, and who is and who does who does and does not have rights? I mean, if you if we're going to stand up and say we want nation to nation talks, then start talking like a nation, and when the court says no, we defined who your rights are. I think it's beholden on somebody who's going to stand up and say they're a nation to say, no, no, we'll decide who has rights and who doesn't. And we'll let, we'll get mm-hmm. back to you. Um, yeah. But that, that's not exactly. what happens. That's not what ha- what's happened. And people are getting fleeced into this idea, and it's becoming more prevalent that you have to be a rights-bearing community. But all that means is you're pleasing the government. You have to please the government and satisfy their oh. demands before they'll give you your rights. Yeah. Uh, and and we've given over our ability to self-determination uh, for our own citizens, our own ability to exercise those rights to the the court system of the Canadian government to then validate or invalidate who is not and who is Métis and what rights we are or are not able to exercise. Absolutely. And, I, you know, and, and then it, I think the, the thing that bothers me too about this is the way the way about this is all done. It's done very disrespectfully. Um, I don't personally know um, this uh, Mary Mary Lou Parker. I don't know other than what I read in articles about her. I don't know anything about her. I've never met her. But the truth is, is you know, she's obviously worked hard for her community. She's been involved in a lot of things. Um, so, like, show her a little bit of respect. Like, there's no reason for something that says they're a news organization, which they have no journalism whatsoever. They just repost articles. For somebody like that to then say that the local newspaper is fake media, fake news, and they use those terms, fake news, um, because they are neither Métis nor a nation, the Eastern Woodland Métis. Well, that's your opinion. That's great. But, you know, this this person, this uh, Facebook page is putting this out there like they're a news agency as though they have journalists on staff writing articles, when the truth is they're not. They're just reposting another journalist's article and then calling them fake news it's ridiculous well i i did kind of find it slightly funny that they're using american uh trump politic political terms as fake news as though that means something here in canada exactly well (laughs) fake news from somebody who doesn't report the news my god that's amazing yeah Yeah, so i mean we have facebook organizations that are calling down actual newspapers who are reporting things that are outside the you know what the mnc would call its homeland and really just calling them down because they disagree with the article's verbiage when they've done no investigative reports on their own i mean it it really boils down to exactly what i talked about in that youtube video today the the evolution of the term at and how it's become a legal definition for the cartel and has very little to do with the reality of people in communities Absolutely. And I, I, at one point in time, I even heard rumors that they've tried several times to actually trademark the term Métis. And I can't prove that. I have no uh, nothing to go on. But I have heard that from several sources that they tr- actually have 
tried to trademark the term Métis. Um, which doesn't surprise me, to be honest with you. I wouldn't be surprised if they did try that. There you go. Maybe we should look at doing that, eh? We should uh, have a registered trademark with Métis in it. Absolutely. Yeah, no. It's... Then, it could be, then it could be our brand. <laughs> well, and then there's the video out there, right, of uh, David Chartrand talking about uh, improving their brand and getting their brand out there. And it's like, yeah, Métis people are not a brand. We're not a commodity to be bought and sold. So. Yeah, well, uh, but that's showing you the, the reality of uh, how it's no longer a term to describe a people, but a legal definition of an ethnic group that they're trying to constitutionally enshrine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and then, you know, the other thing is, is that it seems to be perfectly okay for them to post things like this where they clearly just disrespect this woman and, and everything she's done. I mean, she's an 82-year-old woman that's lived a pretty crazy life from just from the stories. Um, and there's absolutely no respect for that whatsoever. And I find that... You know, a couple of weeks ago, there was this thing going around, and every everybody on the pro MNC side was just off their rocker about how disrespectful us Eastern Métis are to elders. And the truth is, this is like, well, okay, well, but you guys don't talk the talk and walk the walk. I mean, you guys, it's like me throwing a snowball at you, and then when you throw one back, saying, "Hey, don't start a snowball fight." Come on, Darcy. She's not a real elder because she's not even really Métis. She's just some half, you know, whatever, mulatto person there in the East who's, you know, just misappropriating that word. Yeah, well, that's true, too. So you so you, you respect her because she's not really an elder. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She's a, she's a faker, right? Yeah. So disrespecting fakers is cool, but um, since they decide for us who's an elder and who's not, then I guess they can also decide how, whether we're being respectful or not, too. Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, that just uh, I, that that one really uh, got my got a bee in my bonnet about that one. Just uh, for the overall general feel of the whole post, it was really you know disrespectful. But the whole idea that you're not a rights bearing community. Well, I hate to tell you this, but there's a lot of communities in the Métis National Council's purview that uh, are not going to be rights bearing communities. Sorry. I know there's some some right next to me that I've talked to lots of people who have strong Métis connections, and they aren't able to exercise their rights either, so they're not rights-bearing. Exactly. Which means, I guess that means they're not Métis. Yep. So Clearly. I, but, you know, but I think their caveat is, oh, well, as long as they're part of the cartel or they're rights-bearing. But maybe that's how it works. I don't know but you. But then you can't be outside of the cartel and be rights-bearing. And then that brings up another thing. Okay, so if you're, if the intention was, is it, the, the intention of these words was that if you're not part of the MNC and you're not rights-bearing, then you're not Métis. So then explain to me, I'm pretty sure there's another organization in Manitoba uh, that's like the oldest uh, Métis organization in Canada. And I don't think they're yes. affiliated with the MNC. Would they be rights-bearing? I mean, they were started by Riel, so... Yes, but that wasn't his true vision. His true vision was the MNC. Oh, okay, right, okay, I apologize. So then how about, um, well, there's those guys up north that are in the middle of almost finishing up a land deal. There's, like, the the North Slave Métis Alliance, and then there's, like, the Northwest Territories uh, Métis Nation, who's not affiliated with the, you know... Uh, Métis National Council. So I don't know if those guys are rights-bearing and how they could possibly be Métis if they're they're not in the MNC. Uh, no, those are just more fakers who've misappropriated the term Métis and are getting land that really doesn't belong to them. Right, okay, okay. And then, and then the other thing that kind of caught me off a little bit was, you know, all these guys talk about there's no Métis in the East, but if the Governor General is giving an award to a lady because of her work all of her dedication to Métis people doesn't that constitute government uh, like recognition of Métis in the east right there because to be honest isn't the governor general the like technically theoretically the top dog in Canada the queen's representative but hey what does the queen really know about indigenous identity? Yeah, that's right. She can't trust those crazy colonists to give out awards to fakers. <laughs> well, maybe we should. Maybe they should. They'll start a campaign to write letters to the governor general. 
Um, well, they'll have to. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't sent her some very strongly worded letters about, you know, awarding, you know, medals to fakers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Not People in my backyard. Yeah, don't misappropriate that Indigenous identity because now you're getting an award. <laughs> yeah, well, there, and there's, you know, it's been great. I, a friend of ours has been posting a lot of articles from the, you know, 60s, 70s about uh, Métis in the East, all the newspaper articles that were just coming out about this organization, that organization, it's all Métis-related stuff. And then it's like 1982 hit, and bam, all the Métis evaporated out of the uh, entire eastern part of the country. <laughs> Yeah, disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah, yeah, their their blood just evaporated to the point where there was no no indigenous blood in them anymore. I guess yeah. is how that works. I don't know. Thinned it right out with a stroke of a pen. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and actually going back to this a uh, little bit, we you know we're talking about having the government of Canada recognize a nation and do all this stuff. And then th- there's another story that came out just, I think, today even, was a Quebec uh, Supreme Court ruled that the Mohawk uh, Mary Outlaw, for anybody who doesn't know, um, there's a, a in place in Mohawk territory where if one of their members marries a non-Mohawk, they cannot live on the reserve. They have to move out of the reserve. So they called it a Mary Outlaw. You marry somebody who's not in part of the the nation, then you get out. Um, and that's a crude way of putting it, but that's essentially what it is. And the Quebec Supreme Court ruled that it was un- unconstitutional. And yeah. I've really mixed emotions on this because I don't agree with the law, but then at the same time, I'm neither Mohawk nor does it affect me. And I don't know why I should even have an opinion on somebody on another nation's law. And we go back to the nation-to-nation thing again. I don't know. What do you feel about that? Well, you and I have kind of touched on this before that if we were true, if we had the ability to be true sovereign nations, and, and part of that is determining our own membership. And so yeah. if you could have real citizenship within any First Nations community, um, how would that really change our perspectives of who is and who is not? Because historically, there are not many First Nations communities on Turtle Island that were not inclusive by definition. Yeah. Um, my personal opinion, and I don't have a horse in this race, and this is just my two cents, is a lot of these things are based on the completely repressive uh, blood quotient I, uh, tactics that come from the Indian Act. Yeah. And when you're trying to maintain a nation um, that's based on a blood quotient from the government, it's a recipe for disaster. At the same time, I'm not Mohawk either. I'm not part of that nation, and I believe it's their sovereign right to make whatever laws they want. Exactly. Not, they're not ask, they're not asking me to agree, and I'm just giving my two cents. They're free. They don't need to ask Jason Kerr what the hell he thinks. <laughs> exactly. And and that's kind of my thoughts on it. Is is pretty much exactly the same thing. Um, like I said, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the law, but there's a lot of gre- laws in Canada that I don't agree with either. Um, and and but they you're right they are in my opinion they're a sovereign nation they get to make those rules and and it, to understand where that law comes from uh, it, it's pretty easy to understand I mean they're they were trying to preserve their entire culture their entire be- existence at one point in time and still are um, mm-hmm. but and that Absolutely. was one of the tools that they they thought you know what this is one way that we're going to be able to preserve ourselves. And so it kind of came about as survival, and I totally get that. It's it's no different than Métis families who went, you know what, we can pass as white. We're going to call ourselves white because we will mm-hmm. survive and and we will be able to go buy land over there and we can be a settler and have all the benefits and nobody will have to know. And it's a matter well, of survival. Can, but the thing is you can get a job. You can, you can go to work and feed your family because most Métis people never had, even at the worst, never had reserve land. Exactly. Uh, no. Save save your kids from residential school, things like that. It was it was a way to pr- yep. preserve your family and and survive. And so I don't be, you know I I don't uh, pass any judgment on on this law. I mean like a, it's their right to do it. But what I do think is interesting is how the Quebec Supreme Court has overruled it, called it unconstitutional. So it, the, we are not in a nation a nation 
in any way, shape, or form in this country when it comes to indigenous people. Um, no. And and to go rah, 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 the MNC is, they're doing awesome because they're negotiating framework agreements. Well, guess what? We're always going to be the one on the bottom of the ladder. We'll never, ever be standing on the same floor. Um, the Canadian right. government Unless is that, always yeah. going to have power. That's right. Unless that framework recognizes our ability to self-govern, that means that we're being governed. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the, the, uh, there's there's only two ways around it: either we're governing ourselves, yeah. or they're governing us. And this is a prime example how the treaty rights of individuals are being overrun, and the provincial government of Quebec feels that they can just negate Indigenous law. Absolutely. Absolutely, and and you know, again, you, you go back to pretty much anything that's happening in in in, in the indi- in indigenous world altogether, um, and it's not a negotiation. It's what will the government agree to? Well, then, <laughs> like you said, you're being governed. You're not you're not negotiating anything. You're trying to get a little bit more out of the government, and. Uh, you know, I mean that we're doing all these harvesting rights things here, and and it's not a negotiation. The government has their r- rules, and you will fall in line, and that's the bottom line. That's all it is. If it was nation yeah. to nation, then we would be able to walk in and say, "Here's what we're gonna do," and you can either accept it or not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That so, would be the ability of the Mohawk to say, "This is what we want to do. This is going to be our governance." And everybody just goes, well, I don't necessarily agree, but what do you do? They're their own government. Exactly. I mean, if you want to talk about laws that suck, I mean, <laughs> do a Google search for some of the stupid laws in Britain and in France and, you know, Germany and places like that. I mean, they have stupid laws on their books too. I don't see Canada stepping in and saying, whoa, whoa wait a minute, guys. That violates our constitutional rights out here in Canada. Yeah. Like, it, it, But even even provincially, we have stupid laws. Like, you can't import... Uh, certain wines from BC into Alberta. That's right. Because it's the law. That's right. Well, that's stupid. Like, really, it was the same country. And then you tell me I can't go to the Okanagan and buy a couple cases of some wine I really like and bring it back across the border. No, sir, that's illegal. Yes. And somehow we think, that, hey, no big deal, right? That's cool. But so we don't even, our, our treaty rights as First Nations communities aren't even equal to provincial rights. That's right. At because least not in the eyes of the rights government. in. Well, exactly, not in rights of any level of government, because you know the what what passes for healthcare laws in Quebec and in Alberta are different. That's right. And then the, the healthcare lines and the, the funding and what's covered and what's not is different from province to province. Absolutely. And yet that kind of disparity and difference in laws is respected. And yet, when it comes to indigenous communities, we're not able to pass a single law that's respected by any level of government. So there is no nation to nation conversation. No, exactly, and I mean. I, if um, you know, if if the people that are Mohawk that are living under this so oppressive law, if they didn't want it on their books, I bet you they could. They have a way to get that off their books, um, where people can go and vote and choose to decide to remove that law. And and so for me, this is it's just another example. I mean, you, when you look at resource deals and communities say, no, we don't want that pipeline, and then the government walks in with uh, you know RCMP snipers and and starts talking about the military. Who who has any say in this at all? Like, why can't communities say, we don't want that, and the government go, oh, okay, well, I guess we move it then. Um, it's the same thing here. If they people say, no, we want our law like that, well, the people that it affects want it. Well, what what do we have to say then? You know? Exactly. So yeah, I, and that and that it really goes to show that that conversation is again it's it's the same as the word reconciliation. It's a word, but uh, you know it's like that uh, famous scene in the Princess Bride. There, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, way to throw it. That was a good reference. I like that. Uh, <laughs> you don't get to work that into too many just casual conversations. Not too many, but I thought I'd pull it out for this one. <laughs> Ah, that's why we call you the professor. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I don't know, I just, um, I'm having a hard time with it, and again, I don't agree with the law, but then I don't have to live with it, and it doesn't affect me at all. So I, I, I say that about a lot of things these days where there's a lot of stuff out there I don't agree with on, on a lot of issues, 
But the truth is, it doesn't really affect me. And why why am I even talking about it then? Um, well, I think what it boils down to is is the ability to have the conversation. I don't necessarily agree with what what the Mohawk are doing. I, I I could see some of their motivation for doing it, but at the end of the day, I respect their ability to make that law. Absolutely. If their people their people have sat down and they've gone through their governance of whatever they want to do for that, and I respect that process too. That's their choice. Yes. Their people have to live by it, and if they don't yeah. like it, then they'll change it. Yeah, I, I don't have to like it. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and I, you know, I've, I've talked to my uh, my wife quite a bit about some stuff like that, where, um, you know, there's this whole thing now in ceremonies where should, should are you supposed to wear a long skirt? Or are you not supposed to? Some people say you have to. Some people say you don't. Um, and and you know, for me, and 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 I think my wife too. I can think I can say for her too. It's to, to us, it's really about the elder. If the elder says, well, I like, I prefer if, if women wear long skirts. Well, then if you want to go do ceremony with that person, you're going to have to follow their rules because it's their ceremony. Um, and that's the way I look at this thing with the Mohawk. It's like, if I'm going to go on Mohawk land and I, I, you know, I'm a single guy and I go meet a Mohawk girl, I have to realize that if we get married, she's going to have to move. And that's a choice we have to make. And whether I like it or not. Um, and like you said, there's laws in Canada that we don't like, but they still exist. Uh, so exactly. It, it's about, I, I think this is really truly about respecting what other people are doing and, and they don't have to meet, in my opinion, they should not have to meet, uh, Canada's view on things. They should have to meet their view on their, their own people. Uh. Well, that's right. And what I, I see is, is that, uh, according to the Canadian constitution as Quebec sees it, they may not like it, but I don't see how this is, uh, you know, really impacting people's, you know, charter of rights and freedoms as it were. There's no Canadian law that's really being transgressed from what I can see, but I mean, I mean, I'm a lawyer, but we have all kinds of laws that impede all kinds of things in this country on all kinds of levels. And we don't get up in arms about it. That's for sure. Well, and if you're willing to, it's just exactly what you said. If you're a Mohawk person and you wish to marry out and you understand the consequences are is that you're going to have to move, then that's part of being a responsible person. You want to exercise the right, then you also have to accept the responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's kind of rich, too, when you, when you talk about the federal government and they do these court cases where they find that, oh, something is unconstitutional, something like this, where... That, you know, you just can't do that. That's just unconstitutional. And it's like, yeah, but explain the Indian Act then. Please, please, government of Canada, tell us what is unconstitutional or or sexist or or discriminatory. Discriminatory, yeah. Please, please inform us because you have such a good track record on all of those things. (laughs) Yes, you sit on such a virtuous high pedestal of taking the high road of non, you know, non-discriminatory processes in the charter of human rights and then you know somehow we we have this giant eye patch on that we forget that there's an indian act yeah or you know there was a man recently in saskatchewan that got himself a starlight tour in the middle of the day and or no it was nighttime he got a starlight tour nighttime yep uh so that's still going on but you know it's funny how the 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 courts and stuff aren't really cracking right down on that stuff right away that's systemic racism should we say? Um, <laughs> so there's the legal racism, but but, it, but that's okay because you see, the government is as long as they're the only ones who are discriminatory or racist, then it's okay, right? Uh, but if anybody else, if anybody else tries it, well, you better watch out because they have a monopoly on that and they don't like competition. That's right. That is that is their their gig, man. You can't take that. That's right. Don't try to compete with them because they'll out. You know that's unconstitutional. I wonder if that's like uh, the trademarking the Métis name. The word Métis is it, so nobody else that's can right. use it. Maybe they have the trademark on discrimination. That's right. Well, they... hence the Indian Act, right? <laughs> I mean, if it, we're still fighting to get uh, equality in the Indian Act, and they're ruling on on laws of of Indigenous nations saying that they're unconstitutional. And I find it funny how this law seemed to go through the court system rather rapidly, but yet you go back to that court case going on here in Alberta that where they're saying no the government actually is violating our constitutional rights uh that's going to take 10 or 20 years i think on that one let's uh let's drag that sucker out 
Well, and again, it really shows you that Indigenous people have no friend in the court system, and the reality is it's exactly that. If it's the government holding us to account about what they feel the law is, boy, we can shove that right through the court in about a week. And if it's a citizen of the country uh, who lives on this land trying to hold the government to account, well, you better have some deep pockets. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I always find it interesting how quick they are to proceed with and prosecute and and, and come to completion on, on cases against Indigenous people, but yet cases where Indigenous people are fighting for their rights or things like that just take so long. And, and it's, you know, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, though. Oh, yeah, it's all just the happenstance. Yeah, because we all believe in coincidence, right? Everything happens just by pure sheer luck. Well, we know everyone in the government is really just good people trying to do the right thing, and it's it's really just the system and the process. That's right. And and with a red government, it's, it's going to be so much better the next time they get elected, right? Well, well, the truth of the matter is if we could only get the orange guys in, boy, we would have it made. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because after all, look at the pinnacle of everything Alberta's been able to achieve by getting the orange guy in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's uh, it's quite it's been quite a week. I mean, I had to. It was hard to narrow down what we were going to talk about today, but I think we covered a lot. Oh, and it, and, it, and it's, but it is so much just stuff that makes you scratch your head. Well, that's that, just it. Like, and it's all kind of interrelates with each other, and it's it's kind of all the same problem. <laughs> yeah, lots of overlap, and and we're, a lot of this the same legal processes and discrimination that continues to go on and, and plague us. And sadly, we we continue to be tripping over our own organizations as Métis people to try to make heads or tails of of this. And that's kind of why I put that video out to address some of those those issues about how really we've watched, you know, uh, the evolution of words change over the course of the last, you know, uh, since the 80s. Yeah. And I think it's really it should be an eye opener to a lot of people. Um, that this is a evolution of a term, and it's not nothing to do with reality. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely in a historical context. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and I, I I don't know. I think it's just kind of sad that a lot. I mean, all of these problems stem from, you know, like you said, the legal system and the government. Though it's basically like a lot. All of this stuff. I hate to continuously say colonization because I almost think that's losing its effect on what it truly means. But when you look at this stuff and you see the, such vast like issues going on and it all boils down to the same thing. Well, if the government hadn't done that, well, if the government hadn't done that, well, if they didn't have this law, if they just actually well, I, let people be free a little bit. But. Well, I think it even boils down to, to when I caught a little bit of the uh, speech that uh, and I was giving today at the uh, Assembly of First Nations there talking about how the government doesn't have a framework and, you know, they want, you know, they're trying to get out of the way. But at every corner, the ball is completely in their court if they would only just get out of the way. Yes. If they would only just honor the things that they're talking about, this conversation would actually move very speedily in the right direction. But they have so much financially invested off making sure the resources never go back to any of our peoples. They don't want to get out of the way. There's not the real motivation. So it's a, a lot of words that go around and around in a lot of fine speeches. But boy, oh boy, when it comes to actually moving out of the way, they're pretty firmly entrenched. Absolutely. And, and you know, that applies to everything. I mean... Uh, we've talked a lot about the budget lately and, and numbers and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, they make promises. Are they going to deliver? We don't really know. Um, I, re I remember Harper promised a bunch of money to Indigenous Affairs at the time or whatever they called it at the time. And then we found out, no, he didn't actually put any money, any extra money into that. He just used that money to balance the budget for the yeah. one the one budget he's theoretically balanced. But he, he took away from Veterans Affairs, he, and he just didn't spend the money. So I'll promise you $2 billion, but I'm not actually going to give it to you. I'll just promise it. And so that, to me, is like a lot of this stuff is, like you said, the ball is in their court, and it, they've got too much, too much money into it that they're afraid to lose 
And 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 I think that I honestly think there's a lot of ego into it too. They they don't want to admit that there could be a better way of doing things. Well, there is a better way to do do things. The problem with they don't want to have is that the one they're a process they're not in control. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If there's not something that falls into their legal framework that they can have what they consider if if it can't fit into the colonial framework of governance then they're not interested in doing it. And that's really what it boils down to is they don't mind indigenous self-governance as long as there's the colonial structure above it to parent us in doing what's right. Yes. Yeah. And it really boils down to maintaining the colonial terra nullis occupation of the land and its resources for their financial prosperity. Absolutely. Because they all want new shiny plastic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's like... Um... When you look at this lawsuit from the Beaver Lake Cree Nation, when it says in the 38,000 square kilometers surrounding them, there's only 3,000 square kilometers that has not been impacted by industry. Well, where do you go hunting? Where do you go fishing? Mm-hmm. Where do you... Because you can't, you can't actually hunt around oil and gas wells. Um, you can't fire guns around those things or if there's any exposed pipelines or risers or... You know, battery stations. You can't shoot guns around those things. Um, so where you know, but the government st- stumbles and seems to have a hard time getting that through the legal system. Um, well, because they're not going to be held accountable for resource development on those acres. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's what this boils down to is that's their sovereignty, that's their land, and that's how they view it. And so they're not going to be, they'll do everything possible to make sure that they never get drugged into a conversation of honoring the treaties. Absolutely. And, and, you know, this stuff just keeps going and going. I mean, here in Calgary, we had the floods there in, what was it, 2014, 2013, something like that. Massive floods. So their idea of flood mitigation is, um, it goes against everything that the Sutana Nation um, wants. Um, because it's going to negatively impact the Sutana Nation in the fact that they're going to basically cut off a water um, source to the na- to the reserve and uh, and and do a bunch of other stuff. And but because it's outside of the res, no, no, you guys get consulted, but you don't actually get any real input. Is the attitude of the Cal- city of Calgary? And it, so it's things like that. Like, well, <laughs> you you can't call yourself a nation to nation conversation when this crap is going on everywhere in the country. Yeah, exactly. And that, that really is it, is that, again, it's words. The words don't mean anything like reconciliation, and they say those words, and, you know, you can quote the Princess Bride again, but that's the reality. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> they just make up whatever definition they want, and as long as you feel good about what they're saying, well, then they're on to the next press conference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It really is just about getting those votes, right? So uh, I fully expect in the next couple of years, well, the next year, year and a half, you're going to see massive, massive promises being made to Indigenous people, to whoever can vote. Um, And then after the election, it'll be, oh, well, we can't actually do that. Well, that's going to take longer than we thought. And, oh, there's this reason. So, you know, that is going to happen. That's the cycle we're in. Well, and that's just it, and it really goes to show that um, unlike our First Nations cousins, we don't have treaties, and so most of these Métis organizations are completely susceptible to government funding, and so while everyone's rolling in the dough right now, um, it isn't doesn't take a great prophet or seer to look into the future and see what's going to exactly happen as these deficits climb, who they're going to look at to claw back that money. And what happens to these sovereign Métis nations when there's no longer any government to hand them money? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they will be shrinking quite rapidly is what will happen. But, uh, yeah, no, well, I, because without, I mean, what it really boils down to, we look at all, we talk about the budget, and we talk about all the money, and we talk about all the program services and administration, but the reality is for all the paperwork that's been signed and all the money that's going to be promised and all the programs that are promised, there's not one acre of land. Nope. And without land, how did the Métis people become self-sustaining? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then and then you go back to, okay, let's say they were promising land. Are they going to treat it like they do uh, with First Nations? 
I mean, we did like we said. Uh, I said earlier, we did an interview with Rachel Snow, and she was talking about how, you know, they they basically want you to give up your rights to the land in order to allow you, as a nation, to have outside businesses come in and do business on 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 the res. So if you if you want to do business and you want to build your own economy, great. Just agree to all of our rules and all of our terms, and agree to basically give up the rights to your land, and then yeah. you then we'll let you lease it to people. Like, how is that nation-to-nation attitude? You have land that we've forced you onto, we've segregated you away onto, and now we're going to dictate to you what you can and can't do with that land. But no, you're a nation. You're totally, we're nation-to-nation. We're having a great reconciliation conversation. So, yeah, it's just words. They're words with no meaning. Yeah, more paperwork, more uh, speeches, more conversations. And all we do is we keep moving this over until the uh, Liberal government can get into the next uh election that's right and then and then we're going to see four years after that of a whole lot of nothing uh, other than working to terminate this conversation completely and tourniquet it because they're going to want to cut the bondage budget spending themselves absolutely absolutely i uh <laughs> but you know hey it's uh it's just a cycle and it keeps going around and around and until we get off the government wheel uh we're just going to keep riding that ride unfortunately up and down and in and out and around it goes, and uh, we'll just be sitting here on the roadside watching it go by. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you feel good, Jason? You missed last week's rant because you had a little bit of a, a, a canoe situation oh, in your yeah. basement. but uh... <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't terrible, but when you get uh, four feet of snow melting right around your house, <laughs> it's got to go somewhere. But you, you feel like you got your rant out. You feel like you, you had two weeks there of built-up rant well... Yeah, I took it out on the snow. <laughs> so, well, but it, no, yeah, there's just so much actually. It's you know we talk about this a lot off air. Um, that goes on when we started this podcast. We were you know you know wondering how would how would make podcasts last. Uh, talking about just made the issues, but the uh, the rate at which these things happen. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I have a hard time even keeping up with all the things that go on that they relate to our people. Oh, I do too. It's, it's And the worst part is, is the more I dig into things, the har- the more I find and the harder it is to keep up. Um, you know, like uh, more stories I dig into, more people I contact, it opens up a whole new book of, you know, things in that, ter- that area or that community. And it's like, holy cow, there's so much stories out there. And, we're hoping to get out there and get these stories to people, but man, is it ever hard? Because where do you even start? It's well, in, in all honesty, the reality it could be a full time job. Uh, it really for the could. amount of people that that we're in contact with, and the amount of stories, and the amount of communities, and the amount of individual things that we have going on at community levels and governmental relation issues, and um, you know, just you know, talking about you know, people say that histories and knowing our histories is a big thing. To be able to get it out there and share those, you know, share those stories, you, you and I could be on the road um, full time, and I don't know we'd be able to keep up. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, it's it's I find it difficult to keep up with all the stories just in Alberta, let alone. I mean, if you drive out to BC, I'm sure you'd find a hundred more stories, in every other province and territory, right? So it's it's tough, but uh, you know, we'll keep trying. We'll keep ranting away. I mean, we got obviously got lots of material, so. <laughs> Never a shortage. Uh, Absolutely, and if there is something it is something that we should be covering. You know, I, I hope people will take the time to send us a link or an article, and and hopefully we'll get the opportunity to uh, give it the once over. Absolutely, and and that, you know, if for anybody who's listening, if you know somebody who's going through something or wants to get their, you think they would be a good candidate to get their voice heard or their story out, or whatever some sort of grassroots people that aren't getting their voices heard, you know, let us know. Send us an email at metispodcast at gmail.com. Go to Facebook and contact us. Contact us on Twitter. Uh, Go to the Patreon page and pledge and then send us a message. Whatever you want to do, get a hold of us and we'll try to get those those stories to you. Um, And that's all I got, Jason. I don't know. You got anything else? Uh, If you give me five minutes, I'm sure a next news story will pop up, but we better call it a night. (laughs) All right. Well, I do want to remind everybody, if you're in the Calgary area between now and May 13th, um, Walking With Our Sisters is down at Mount Royal College in the library, and there's parking right there. Go see it. Absolutely go see it. It's 
it's very, very important. It's a very uh, powerful thing to go see. Um, and I've seen it once, and my, my daughter and my wife helped set up down there, and uh, it's just amazing, and it's amazing all the work that was put in to get it here. It's been a couple of years of work, to be honest, and uh, so thanks to all those volunteers for doing it, but get out there and go see it. If you want to volunteer, you can still vo- sign up to volunteer and help. Um, take care of the sacred fire for a couple hours or help with food or whatever it is. So get out there and see it. Get out there and volunteer. I really encourage everybody to go do that. Um, and it's on till May 13th. So please, 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 if you're in the Calgary area, make that a priority and get out there. Um, other than that, for now, I think I'm good. Uh, Jason, you're you're good? I am good. All right. Well, everybody, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. And you will be back ranting and raving. Go be a good ancestor for the next week. And until then, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't...